0: Weeks ago, we began studying Job's response to Bildad. We took a little break because it was so close to Christmas last week, and we celebrated that. Job asked some questions in chapter 9 as part of his response to Bildad. And those questions were, in general, how can I be right before God? That was one of the things that he was struggling with because here he's looking at his circumstances and he's saying, man, I, 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 I see what was happening. How can I be right before him? And then he says, how can God be just when I'm suffering? Now, we'll address that a little bit more directly later, but this caused a very serious serious conflict in Job's heart and mind. It just, as we might say, didn't add up. And I liken that to a math equation last week of something that just doesn't come out right. And so I want to show you that equation again. Of, of this not adding up. He basically says, I am blameless. All right? This doesn't mean sinless. We've gone over this a number of times, but I want to kind of hit us, hit us with that again. It means that he is keeping current before God. Now, it doesn't mean he's sinning all the time and then just for forgiveness either. Okay? He is living a faithful life. And he says, and I know that God is Sovereign. As a matter of fact, that's one of the things he says to Bildad. Bildad says, don't you understand God is sovereign? He says, I know this. But I'm suffering. I'm a faithful person. I'm a follower of the Lord. But I'm suffering. And so my conclusion is, God must not be just. How else can I see this situation? And frankly, we left ourselves with that tension, right? But what I want us to do is through chapter 9, I want us to see just very briefly how this equation actually fits. He says, I'm blameless chapter 9, verses 20 through 21, say this, though I were righteous, my own mouth would condemn me. Though I were blameless, it would prove me perverse. So we see the conflict in his soul, right? But he says, I am blameless, yet I do not know myself. I despise my life. Now just keep that in mind. Keep this this tension in mind. This, this, This going back and forth with, here's my experiences, but I know what I've done and I haven't done. And don't get it right so I'm blameless God is sovereign he says God is wise and hard and mighty in strength so he knows everything and he's strong he's under got everything under control but I'm suffering how does Job say that in 917 for he crushes me with a tempest and multiplies my wounds without cause by the way Some of this is past tense stuff that happened to Job, but he's also talking about the present tense. He just feels like there's this unrelenting attack against him. And so then, it doesn't add up that God is just. What does he say in 22 and 23? It's all one thing. Like it's all it's all just one big ball of wax here. Therefore I say he destroys the blameless and the wicked. If the scourge slays suddenly, he laughs at the plight of the innocent. Wow. Now, based upon a combination of what Job knew and what he experienced, Job concluded that the Lord must be unfair. He treats the wicked and the righteous the same way. Right? That's what he says. So he concluded. So we concluded uh, that we purposely left the tension in the passage unresolved because Job's heart was unresolved. Resolution will come to a degree at some point. But I also want us to reflect on the words that we left with last week, two weeks ago, sorry, with Christopher Ashe that helped us make sense of what Job said. And he, Christopher Ashe says this, it is possible to be wrong. And right at the same time. God will say that Job has spoken rightly about him in 42.7. And doesn't that blow our minds? Right? He tells Job's friends, uh, you guys are way off. Job's right. Job's right about me. I mean, that doesn't compute at this point. But look at what he says. And yet Job says a great many things about God that are not right. How are we to reconcile this apparent contradiction? When we listen to Job's speeches, we need to bear in mind the distinction between Job's perception and Job's heart. His heart is the heart of a believer, which is why the Lord commends and affirms him in the end. By the way, he commended and affirmed him in the beginning, too, didn't he? That's kind of how Job got in trouble. (laughs) But Job's perceptions are partial and flawed. We hear in these speeches the honest grapplings of a real believer with a heart for God as he sees what he thought was a secure worldview crumbling around him. This is why we will hear Job say some things that are plain wrong, yet, we hear him say them from a heart that is deeply right. Wow. That's tough. That's tough. We've considered several things to better understand the context or the setting of the book. We considered Job as a person. We determined a general idea of when and where this all took place. We examined the two conversations in heaven between the Lord and Satan. We detailed Satan's attacks and how they affected Job, and they affected him greatly, right? We watched Job's wife withdraw from her husband um, I personally concluded, maybe your conclusion is a little bit different, but I concluded based upon what I was able to, to, to look at in the scriptures is that she just basically said, I, I can't do this anymore. Right? I, I can't, I'm sorry, Job, but I, I can't do this anymore. She was overwhelmed. We listened to Job's self-assessment. He was physically, emotionally, and spiritually Exhausted. And he continued to experience deep, deep suffering in every way. In other words, that all happened, like I say, past tense. But in present tense, right now, as we're reading this account of him responding to Bildad, nothing's really changed. He's still suffering. We describe Job's three friends and determine Job had suffered about two months before his friends came to comfort him. And we identified how poorly Job's friends actually cared for him, regardless of what they intended to do to begin with. And then two weeks ago, we learned that what hurt Job the most, what gnawed at his soul, was a sense that God was displeased with him. Now, this might be a good time to insert a few important considerations about Job's conversations with his friends. Now, folks, I I need you to be a little patient here. Let me just explain something very briefly. When we're beginning a book, you have to look at the background. And you have to look at the context. And you have to look at, at what's taking place. And this is an ancient book. And in some ways, there's, there's some things that we have to try to figure out without connections to other things. So there's only so much we can do at a time or it might be just two weeks of me saying, and here's the background of the book, and here's the background, without looking at the scriptures, Right? But this is a certain point in time where I feel like I need to insert a few more things to kind of just get us a little bit deeper into this context so we don't miss some of the things that we're to draw from the text. All right? So it's going to take a couple minutes, but I, ho- I hope that it's, it means something to you. So here's, here's a few things that we need to consider. First, the timing. My sermons cover, over the course of weeks, a conversation that happened at most a few hours in real time. Now I actually took the time to take a couple of the chapters and look at how long they would have been read. And I have a Bible program on my phone that tells me how long let's just say for example, chapter 16 takes to read. Well, reading speaking same idea, and I even padded that a little bit. And this conversation would have only taken a few hours. These men, particularly Job, spoke these words during a dynamic conversation. Actually, it was really an argument, if we would be honest, right? They're, they're arguing back and forth. If each person spoke slowly and deliberately, and each speaker took time to reflect and pr- process what the other one said, which I don't know that would be the case or not, uh, to be more specific, it would be about a three-and-a-half-hour conversation. But the conversation was probably much more fast-paced and highly charged than that. So this exchange of words, if I were just to read them, I could read the whole thing to you in three weeks. We've been talking about this section of Scripture for more than three weeks. You see what I mean? So it takes some explanation. So we need to remember there's, some, there's a timing element These guys are exchanging these things. They're having to respond to one another, and we have to put ourselves in a real-time conversation here. Secondly, the situation itself, and some of this is a little bit of a reminder, but we have all been in intense conversations, haven't we? It could be about sports, a family crisis, a critical meeting at work, or which Pokemon card is the best. I mean, We've all been in those conversations, maybe not the last one, but some of us have, okay? No matter what the subject, the more personal and important the subject is, the more personal and emotional the conversation can become. Isn't that right? If you don't care about something, it's not going to get heated unless you're just kind of, I guess, being a jerk. You know what I mean? <laughs> right? You're just going to, you know, talk about it and okay, fine. But if, if you have some stock in it, if there's some personal things that are attached to a subject, or if it's, if it's emotional, then you know, if it's important to you, then, then the personal emotional is going to be heightened. We cannot get any more personal or important than what Job is discussing with his friends. In the middle of Job's personal chaos... He is responding to poor theology, bad advice, and even accusations against his character. And he's also reacting to the depths of his sorrow and pain. So this kind of accentuates what Brother Ash was telling us in that it's a real-time conversation where these things are going back and forth and they're responding to one another, but it's also where Job is at. And as we go through the book, we can almost like forget about this. He's still sitting in a pile of ashes. His skin is still literally peeling off of his body. He has a burning fever that he says is just lighting up his bones. And his friends are like, you know, you're a really bad sinner. (laughs) Right? Even his servants are like, eh. And their theology says, you've done something wrong. you got to get something right here, brother. And then third, understanding. If you have witnessed an argument, what would it take to really understand what it was all about? You would have to know the characters involved, the subject matter, and even the background, and then consider what is being said. Right? Because... You know, let's just say that we've got a family dynamic going on and um, none of you had this happen, you know, over the holidays, I'm sure, you know, or or will have it happen. It's just not going to happen. But, but let's just say that there's a little conflict that comes up and, and you know, cousin so-and-so says something to aunt or uncle so-and-so, right? And you, as an outside observer, that little phrase might not mean anything. But when you know the background, it's like, ooh, that was kind of a zing, yeah, yeah. Right? And now I understand why they responded back the way they did, and so on. You see where I'm going? So we need to understand this. Our particular interest right now is understanding Job's situation and why he might be saying what he's saying. In chapters 9 and 10, Job is trying to figure out what is happening. In other words, 10 is part of this process. So this is another whole layer, these things that I just mentioned, of context that we need to consider. To tell you that well in advance might not have had the same impact as telling you now because we can take what we've already learned, what Eliphaz said, what Bildad said, and how Job responded to them, and kind of, okay, yeah, yeah, this is happening in real time. This is a real conversation. These are real people. There's a lot of wrestling going on here. And then as we take this down through the next several stages, I think it can help us. So that's kind of where we're at. All that to say, now, (laughs) Job has more burning questions. This is part two of Job's burning questions, right? And the first one is, why are you oppressing me? So it's been a little while since we've read this. I want to read these passages again. So follow along in your scriptures, uh, Job chapter 10 again. Let's look at verses 1 through 7. My soul loathes my life. I will give free course to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Show me why you contend with me. Does it seem good to you that you should oppress? That you should despise the work of your hands and shine on the counsel of of the wicked? In other words, look favorably on them. Do you have eyes of flesh or do you see as man sees? Are your days like the days of a mortal man? Are your years like the days of a mighty man that you should seek for my iniquity and search out my sin. Although you know that I am not wicked and there is no one who can deliver from your hand. So Job began by declaring that he wasn't going to hold back. He was going to speak his mind. That's not the first time he said this, but he's doing it. He continued by basically demanding that the Lord show Job how he was doing these things or why he was doing these things to him. Please show me why are you doing this. In verses four through seven, Job asked the Lord how he could possibly have a fair hearing. Remember, he asked Bildad similar questions, didn't he? how How can I go to court with God? Like I'm, I I can't win that. And yet, I, I haven't done anything wrong. His questions then draw a comparison between God and mere man, right? He has several times where he's comparing God to man. Are you like this? And in verses 6 and 7, Job brings up the subject of sin. Job feels as if God is investigating him, trying to find sin in his life and build a case against him. In verse 7, Job flat out states, You know that I am not wicked. Now, this is a negative way of saying what either Job has said or what others have said about Job many times up to this point. And I want us to see this. I, I, I want to solidify in our minds because we can easily slip into the same attitude that his friends have, which is, eh, I'm not about you, Job, right? <laughs> but look at, look at what the Scriptures say. Job one. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. Job 1.8, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. Job 1.22, in all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. In all of what? In all that he was experiencing. Job 2.3, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil, and still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. Oh, oh wait a minute. Job has said the same thing. I'm experiencing this without cause. God's already said that. You see where we're going? You can be right, but you can still be wrong. Job 2, 10, the latter part of it. and all this, Job did not sin with his lips. And then we see in 6, verses 29 and 30. Yield now, let there be no injustice. Yes, concede, he's talking to his friends. My righteousness still stands. Is there injustice on my tongue? Cannot my taste discern the unsavory? In other words, Can I not understand what sin is? I know what it means to sin. I'm not in denial. I haven't sinned. So he challenges his friends back. And then, again, a couple weeks ago, we looked at chapter 9, verses 20 and 21. Though I were righteous, my own mouth would condemn me. Though I were blameless, it would prove me perverse. I am blameless, yet I do not know myself. I despise my life. Right, I, I, the word despise there, the the word despise usually means consider nothing, right? I look at my life, it's like, it's worthless. That's pretty much what he's saying. I I am so messed up here because I know I haven't done anything wrong, but yet how can I say that when I'm experiencing what I'm experiencing? (laughs) The tension is just awful, (laughs) At first glance, we might wonder how Job was able to go unpunished, let alone survive being so forward with the Lord. But we need to continue to apply what we talked about earlier. Job has experienced targeted, supernatural, devastating attacks on both his possessions and his person. This he understands. There's no confusion about that. He sees, he experiences what he's going through. And he knows that it didn't just happen. The attacks have wiped him out financially, relationally, socially, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. I'm not going to go through all those again, but is there anything we haven't covered there? His life is just wiped out. That's why he can say here, I despise my life. He has been told nothing before, during, or after. Therefore, he has no idea why all of this has befallen him. He doesn't know why he's experiencing this. His wife has withdrawn from him. The comfort of his friends have nearly drove him insane. And we say that Job also had believed the religion of the day. But because of his circumstances, it no longer made sense. Remember, bad things happen to bad people. Good things happen to good people. I'm a good people, is what Job was saying before. And by the way, rightfully so. And I'm experiencing God's blessings. And we would say amen to that. Yes, I mean, that's what we would expect too. But then it seems like he's not experiencing God's blessings. And so all he has to default back to is bad things happen to bad people. I'm still over here. I haven't done anything wrong. Job was completely convinced that God was all-powerful, all-knowing, and exercised control over all things. So the vast amount of Job's theology was still correct. And within this, what I would label as a refining blender, right? This trial that just chewed him up. Job could see no other possibility than that God himself was doing this to him. And, and in one sense, he's correct. God allowed this to happen. So the next burning question that Job has is, why do you want to destroy your creation? That's pretty stark, but again, how do we argue with that question? With what he's experiencing, we can understand why he would ask it. So let me read for you verses 8 through 17, just to, again, bring this to our minds. Your hands have made me and fashioned me an in intricate unity, yet you would destroy me. Remember, I pray, that you have made me like clay, and will you turn me t- into dust again? What he's basically saying is, look, I, I'm, I'm no Superman, right? I, you've, you've made me, uh, I, I'm finite, I'm weak. Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese, clothe me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews? You have granted me life and favor, and your care has preserved my spirit. These things you have hidden in your heart. I know that this was with you. If I sin, then you mark me and will not acquit me of my iniquity. If I am wicked, woe to me. Even if I am righteous, I cannot lift up my head. I am full of disgrace. See my misery." If my head is exalted, you hunt me like a fierce lion. And again, you show yourself awesome against me. You renew your witness against me and increase your indignation toward me. Changes and war are ever with me. Again, it it, it pulls at our emotions, doesn't it? Um, I am not going to say that Job is calling God a bully. That could be the case. Um, I don't want to go that far, but we do understand all of us have experienced a point in time when someone either had was bigger than us or had more, more power than we did in some way, and they used that to their advantage against us. So now, think about Job knowing full well who God is, attributing creation to him, attributing his own creation to God. And basically then he says, and you have basically leaned on me. (laughs) Right? I mean, I am experiencing your hand on me. Not your hand of protection, by the way. Given Job's condition, this is comparable to someone going through a trial and asking God, what are you doing to me? Right Now his is more extreme, and he's saying, why are you trying to destroy me? In verses 8 and 9, Job says that God created him, but he is now uh, out to destroy Job. He describes in the 9 and 10 how the Lord, in his words, made and fashioned him. He uses poetic language, and you can follow along in that, and he basically describes how God formed him from conception and then put flesh and skin on him and then put bones and, over the bones and joints. So he goes into great detail of how God put him together. Most of the book to this point is about God's testing of Job and his response to God's testing. We are now in the longest section of the book where Job interacts with his friends, right? That's where we're at. And in verses 12 and 13, we are given a rare and brief glimpse into Job's relationship with the Lord. Folks, I love this passage. This is this is that just long draw of cool water in the middle of all of this, all right? In verses 12 and 13, we'll, we'll show you the scripture in a minute, but you can read it right there in your text. And... Uh, in all of this, Job acknowledges God's favor in his life. This might sound like the fringe benefits that come with having a friend who's popular or has money or influence, but Job's words have much more depth. The word is one that we have considered before, It's the Hebrew word hased or loving kindness. Job is declaring that God has created him and has been very gracious to him. The last phrase in verse 12 is just as rich. The word care means oversight or custody. And preserve means to put a hedge around him or to protect him. This is the, exactly what Satan said that God was doing for Job to gain his loyalty. So let's put this together. We have the first, we have the New King James says in ten twelve. you have granted me life and favor and your care has preserved my spirit. I'm going to give you a little bit of a, a, you know, expanded paraphrase on this. You have granted me life and steadfast love, and your caring oversight has protected and sustained my spirit. Job asked in the beginning of this section, Will you destroy me? Will you turn me back to dust? So we see the intense struggle that is going on in Job's heart and mind. Because in the middle of all that, he also says, you've been very gracious to me. You've shown your care to me. I've experienced it. So then he asks, why did you let me live? In 18 through 22, it says, why then have you brought me out of the womb Oh, that I had perished and no I had seen me. I would have been as though I had not been. I would have been carried from the womb to the grave. Are not my days few? Cease, leave me alone that I may take a little comfort before I go to the place from which I shall not return to the land of darkness and the shadow of death, a land as dark as darkness itself, as the shadow of death without any order, where even the light is like darkness." So Job returns to a theme that we have heard him say before, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but he continues to be distraught to the point of despairing for his life. Right? He just, he just wants to be done. Job then asks of the Lord to leave him alone. Now, Job isn't aggressively telling God, get away from me. That's not really what he's saying. What he's saying is, stop pursuing me. Right? Just, just let up on me. And instead, he's asking to be left alone so that he can just finish his days in peace. See, in Job's mind, he doesn't have long to last anyway. He's hurting. He doesn't see an end except to stop breathing. And so he just wants to be left alone, to sit in peace as best as he can until it's over. Again, again, not a lot of hope oozing out of this, right? And so we're forced to this problem again of, man, what's going to happen? Well, we, we know in some ways it's going to happen. You can read ahead. But, but yet there are times when we're right here, right? So let's, let's work through that. Today we invested some time to get a little deeper into the storyline in order to better understand Job's experience, right? We were reminded, or at least we 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 told ourselves, hey, this was a real-time conversation. This was a guy who was going through some some serious <laughs> stuff, right? Some things I can't imagine going through. He was confused. He was struggling with with not necessarily who he believed in, but how that God operated all those different things. But there are some important things to understand about Job and to apply to our own lives. Chapter 10 further shows that Job is a righteous man, but a righteous man in a very desperate situation. What Job believed about God wasn't complete. Not that Job lacked faith. We, we, know that, we know that he believed, and it's not that Job lacked faithfulness. We know that he was blameless. But what is one of the main purposes of trials? What's one of the main reasons why God brings us through these things? It's to refine our faith. Job's is a story of extreme conditions. He went through an extreme trial. And what we are witnessing now is the raw and honest struggle that is part of God's refining process. Without the Lord allowing these trials to come into Job's life, he would have never grown closer to the Lord. You Think about that for a minute. You say, wait a minute, man, Job, he, he, was, he was an upright guy. God said it himself. It doesn't mean that God was done with him. It doesn't mean that he had arrived. So even when we think of the scriptures referring back to the patience of Job and and, and man, what an amazingly spiritual guy he was. How could he have gone through all of that? There were still some things about the Lord that he needed to know. In some ways, folks, that's actually refreshing. Because even though Job's perspective is, stop punching me, stop destroying me, Stop crushing me. God is saying, "No. I still love you. You've got something to learn through this." Job needed to understand that the philosophy, this this theology that had begun And we know from Job's time frame, this was fairly early on, right? This is well before the law. That good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. That's not the standard. And I want you to see a little more of who I am. So without the Lord allowing these trials to come into Job's life, he would never have gone closer to the Lord. And the same goes for us. The same goes for us, folks. Again, I've said it probably a thousand times in my lifetime. It doesn't mean that we look at life and say, oh, hey, put me through a really, really big trial today, Lord. You know what I mean? That's not, it's, it's not like we're getting on a ride at Cedar Point. I can't wait. You know what I mean? It's not like like Christmas morning. Ooh, what do I get to open up today? Isn't this not? No. But when it comes, when it comes and we understand what it is, which we do need to do, Job's still working through that. There's a purpose behind it, and we need to understand that fact. So, again... We're talking about an extreme case for Job because an extreme case makes for an extreme lesson, right? But haven't we all responded during times of God's testing in similar ways that Job has? We all have. We cannot lose sight of the correct things that Job was still clinging to, even when his circumstances made absolutely no sense to him. He basically acknowledged God is in control. He said that multiple times. He agreed with his friends. But he also said, God has a gracious love for me and God ultimately protects me. One aspect of that protection is the ultimate promise of eternity with him. Keep that in mind, not only as we go through our study, but keep that in mind in life. No matter what trial we go through, There is always that end, which is actually the beginning. The beginning of our fulfilled eternity with our Savior. That's that's the worst thing that can happen to us. The very worst is that we're with the Lord. And oh, by the way, in that process, even of our life leaving us, meaning physical life, we can please God even through that, and then we're going to understand things. And on top of that, God is going to say, "Well done, you've been faithful." Remember what Jesus did when He was talking about the talents, or the and we think of those as you know abilities. Sometimes, no. Um, Amounts of money that that he gave. An investment that the master gave to servants. Regardless of what the amount of the investment was, there was a proportionate faithfulness to increase that investment. Right? And to those servants, he said, Well done, enter into your master's rest. You have been faithful in a few things. And I'm paraphrasing. I'm going to give you blessings beyond measure. This life here, he's investing in us, but we're also investing in eternity. The purpose is to glorify him, but we are told work to be rewarded. might take us some time to get through it and job didn't have the privilege of james telling him just ask just ask you know for wisdom and god will show you <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> he's asking i'm not sure if he's asking complete wisdom right now but he's reeling so folks here's the here's the point even when we are just going through that blender that I described, that blender of life sometimes where we have no idea which way is up, what's going on, it's a mess. And we know that it's not something that we have done or that is being done to us because we've offended God, then we don't just ride it out we can engage our hearts and minds and we can be faithful and we can seek to learn because God has something in store for us. We're working on this through Job. It takes some time and what I've told you is this, we're not going to pull vault over this stuff. So it's still kind of messy, but I'm just going to tell you there's some good stuff coming. I'm leave you some breadcrumbs, right? To follow, <laughs> Leave you some hope here. But even in Job's words today, there's still that hope. You're a gracious God, and you have cared for me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there are certainly times in our lives when we just lose sight of your graciousness. We lose sight of all the different ways that you care for us, and our circumstances overwhelm us. I don't know exactly where Job is here in that spectrum. He has not abandoned you, but he sure is struggling. And as we relate to this, Lord, I pray that we will learn along with Job. But the lesson, first and foremost today, is we might have a lot of questions. But Job didn't question your grace and he didn't question your care. He knew that you loved him regardless of all the things that he said and all the confusion and all the frustration. That came through. Heavenly Father, may we respond to you in the same way. Being assured of your love and of your grace and of your Deep concern. And then move forward in obedience and faith as a result, regardless of our circumstances. In Christ's name, amen.